welcome to this podcast from Adelaide Place Baptist Church. We are a community of disciples, apprentices of Jesus, who live and work in the city of Glasgow, and it's our vision to join God in the renewal of all things. Our discipleship to Jesus is for all of our lives, so as well as listening to this podcast, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning, or get involved in one of our missional communities, which are across the city throughout the week. Our prayer is that you encounter Jesus in some way through this podcast. More information can be found at apbc.net. And uh, it's very nice to be here. Thanks everyone for welcoming me here so warmly. And uh, as you know, I'm, I'm, uh, my name is Paulus and I'm, so I'm one of the two pastors at St. Andrew's Baptist Church. And so greetings from our church. Uh, was kind of convenient that you were meeting in the afternoon. I could prepare my sermon in the morning. Um, but anyways, no, I started earlier than this morning. So even this week, I found it just such a privilege to be engaging with this text, digging deep into this text and asking myself, where's, a- where's Abraham? Um, but we're talking about Abraham of the Bible, of course. And so where is Abraham? And what I mean by that question is, where in the story of where in the story of Abraham are we in Genesis 22? What has Abraham been doing so far? Where is Abraham in his journey with I God? You know, go from your country, which is close to Babylon, go back to the Promised Land, and Abraham does so. He obeys God, and God says, "I'm going to bless you, and through you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed." Okay. You've heard this, uh, listened to the sermon two weeks, teaching about goes down to Egypt. So first of all, you're like, Abraham is a good guy. He's the hero, you know. He obeys God, goes from his land to the promised land. But then there's a famine. He goes down to Egypt. There he lies about Sarah. He says, she's my sister. She's not my wife. So Pharaoh takes Sarah into the palace. Uh, we don't exactly know what happened there, but it's, it's not really good, is it? I mean, Abraham in that story, at least, is not really the hero, is he? Do you agree with me? Good. So we know we're only one chapter in the Abram story, and we know that sometimes he does incredible things, but sometimes he does things that aren't that good. Um, so let's go to the, to the next slide, actually, if that's okay. So here, this is just a, a short summary of everything that happens uh, to Abram. In Genesis 13 and 14, we read the story of Abram and Lot. Um, Abraham is sort of depicted there as a positive guy again. He fights for Lot when Lot is taken captive. Then Genesis 15, uh, the promise is repeated. Balance is sort of like Abraham is pretty good. Where this is going with Abraham. Genesis 18, uh, God visits Abraham and Sarah and sort of reiterates the promise again. Says to Sarah, in one year, you'll have a son. Okay. And then what, what follows after that is the, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And actually, that story is also significant for the presentation of who Abram is. Because what happens in that story is that God is telling Abram what he's going to do to Sodom and Gomorrah. And what does Abram do? He tells God, please don't kill the righteous with the wicked. And he is he's arguing with God. You know, God, if there are only 50 people, spare the city. If there are 40, if there are 30, if there are 20, if there are 10. And... Then the conversation stops. Perhaps Abram should have gone further. I don't know. But, but in, in that instance, 
it becomes clear that, that Abraham is aware of who God is. He's a righteous and a just God, and, and he's capable to argue with God when it is necessary. So you think, okay, overall the balance is perhaps a bit up again. Until we come there, Abraham falls in the same mistake. Gives away his wife, who at that point is probably pregnant, because two chapters before she's been promised, in a year you'll have a son. And gives her away to Abimelech, and again lies about her, says she's my sister. Uh, eventually God intervenes, and Sarah comes back to Abraham. And so at that point you're really like, I'm, I'm not sure about this guy. Not sure about Abraham. You come to Genesis 21, Isaac is born, and Sarah wants Abraham to send Ishmael away. And actually, Abraham is reluctant to do that. He shows affection for Ishmael. So, next slide is just to say this question, just looking at the wider context, just reading a bit wider than just Genesis 22 shows us that Abraham really is a mixed bag. He is not just simply a hero. He is not just simply someone who keeps failing and failing. He can do both. Okay, and that's the case with most of the characters in the Bible. Uh, the problem is that we sometimes just forget the bad things and focus on the good things. And, and we hear those stories about Abraham being a great man of faith and we, you know, we forget all the other stories. So it's good when we come to a chapter like Genesis 22 to just remind ourselves of that context. So next slide. Has Abram then at least made any progress from chapter 12 to chapter 22? And I would suggest, yes, he has made some progress because at least in the two stories where he gives away his wife, he is actually fearing the people of the land rather than God. And that's why he tells his wife, tell them you're my sister. And that's why his wife is taken from him. And at least in this story, at the end of the story, God says, now I know that you fear me. So Abram has learned throughout the cycle so far to fear God rather than to fear people. So, so there is something that Abram has learned, okay, which is, which is good. So is Abram the hero of this story? Let's move on to the second question. And next slide. Second question, where is Isaac? And you can again go to the next one. Because uh, I don't know if you've noticed when, when Stephen stopped reading, and this is one of the details that is just obvious there, obviously there in the biblical text, but we often miss it. You come back after Mount Moriah, and it says, Abram returned to his servants. They set off together for Beersheba, and that's where Abram stayed. But where is Isaac? You know, Abram is coming down the mountain without Isaac. What's going on? What has happened between the two of them? And, and that is one of the difficulty with interpreting biblical stories, biblical narratives, is that often it leaves out more details than we want it to leave out. There's a lot of ambiguity, there's a lot of silence, there's a lot of skipping over, and we as readers need to fill in the details by paying careful attention to the context and by carefully reading the story. And if you've been tracking along from sort of Genesis 12 until here, I think 
This silence on where Isaac is, is really a silence that is significant. Because again, we can go to the next slide and you can see this overview here. Within all these chapters, Abraham has shown great affection for Ishmael. As I said in Genesis 17, you know, David is, or Abraham is saying, you know what? Why don't you just bless Ishmael? I already have a son. In Genesis 21, he's reluctant to send Ishmael away. But in contrast, at least in the, in the story that we have, Abram doesn't explicitly show much affection for Isaac. First of all, Abram allows Sarah to be taken at a, at a point where she's probably already pregnant of Isaac. Don't know what that's about. God has to intervene. And secondly, if you compare the silence of Abraham in Genesis 22 with the vocal argument that's going on between God and Abraham in Genesis 18, you're wondering, why did Abraham not intercede for his son? Why, why could he argue with God about the fate of his nephew, Lot, and the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah? And why, when God asked him to do this, he was silent for three days. Again, the Bible doesn't tell us why Abram is silent, but, but we as readers, we need to be attentive to the clues that are in the context. And we show that Abram is not showing much affection. And, and actually, you know that after Genesis 22, Abram and Isaac never meet again. Just continue to read. At some point, Abram arranges a wife for Isaac through a servant. But the next time that Isaac shows up in the presence of Abram, it's at the, the funeral of Abram. And he shows up together with his brother Ishmael. And these are some of the details in the story that perhaps we don't notice on a casual reading. But it is, I think, really telling that the only explicit sign of affection between Abram and Isaac that we have in the Bible is this verse, Genesis 22, verse 2. Take your son, your only son, whom you love. But that's God speaking to Abram. That's not Abram speaking to his son. But actually, Abram did feel affection for Isaac, and I'm not saying that also could interpret this verse as sort of God nudging Abram, like this is your only son, the one whom you love, right? You know, you can read it in two ways. And actually, if you've been tracking along with the story of Abram and Ishmael and Isaac, it seems that Abram feels more affection for Ishmael than he does for Isaac. Okay, so that was the second question. We've probed a bit deeper into this difficult story. So the third question that is perhaps an obvious question that Abram answered, God and the two of them went on together. But then you come to the climax of the story. God intervenes, or the angel of the Lord speaks to Abram. Don't kill your son, please don't do it. And what is the animal that shows up? It's a ram. It's not a lamb. So Isaac is wondering about a lamb. Abram is saying God will provide a lamb. The animal that shows up in the story is a ram. And now I think this is, you know, one of those details where 
you could wonder about this for a long time, and, and, and I don't think there are any clear answers in the text as to why there is this swap between lamb and ram. But I do think that this actually creates a suspense for the reader of the story. That if you read the story carefully and sort of linger on it, you are wondering by the end of the story, where is the lamb? And that's if we want to sort of get how the New Testament writers then read this story, we come to the New Testament and we read John the Baptist seeing Jesus and saying, look, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So we're a little bit further in the biblical storyline. And finally here, God has provided a lamb. And in fact, there are, there are many other sort of connections between the Gospel of John and this story in Genesis 22. Uh, these verses that I've listed here, you know, in, in Genesis 22, uh, Isaac is called the only, the one and only son of Abraham. And that's the same description the Gospel of, Je of John gives for Jesus. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son. And John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, the exact same description as Genesis 22 gives of Isaac, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so there are, of course, more parallels between Isaac and Jesus. Both of them carry the wood themselves as they go up the hill. But whereas the sacrifice of Isaac is averted by God's intervention, Jesus willingly sacrifices himself for the world as the true Lamb of God. Just think of this story in a slightly new way. But the next question is then, and we're left with that, so how does this story, Genesis 22, how might it encourage us today? And I think the first thing that I want to say to you, as I was thinking about it this week and praying over this passage, I think this is something that God wants us to know. And that is, Abraham is a mixed bag, and so are we. You know, actually realizing that Abraham may not be quite the hero that some of us make him to be, makes him more relatable, in a sense. It makes him more like us. Because if we look at our own life cycles, at the last 10 years of our own lives, are we all a little bit of a mixed bag? Sometimes, perhaps, a hero in obeying God, and at other points, astonishingly disobedient to our loving Father. And I think it can be just so helpful to begin to read Bible stories and reflect on Bible characters in this way. They are all mixed bags. You know, go read the stories about David. Go read the stories about Gideon. Like, they're really not all the only thing that you can find in your children's Bibles. They're, if you read the other stories, they're all mixed bags, and so are we. And then the second one, 
And that is this. I think this is something God wants us to know. That even though, because I think in the story, the good thing about Abram was that he, he did fear God and he was obedient to God. I don't think he was a perfect father. I don't think he was as loving towards his son as he should have been. At least that's my reading of the story. But he did obey God. He imperfectly obeyed God. And I think one of the encouragements of this story is that even though Abraham's obedience is tainted by imperfection, God still chooses to bless his obedience. And we see that elsewhere in the Bible. Imperfect obedience, God chooses to bless. I was also thinking of William Carey, who uh, some of you in Baptist circles may know. He was sort of foundational in, in starting the BMS, the Baptist Missionary Society, leaving um, the UK together with his wife and, and son. And, 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 you know, he's often presented as one of the great heroes of faith, one of the great missionaries, and, and honestly he was, but really, if you read into his biography, his wife didn't want to come with him to India. And shortly after they arrived there, their son died. Visions that come out of fear for God. God loves mixed bags, okay? He loves you, loves mixed bags, okay? He loves you, whether you're a hero or whether you're imperfect most of the time. He loves you. He saw that Abraham wasn't the perfect hero here. He knew that at some point the lamb had to be provided. And he came himself. Jesus Christ, the lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. He loved us so much that he came, gave his life for us, died for us, died at the hands of his enemies, who thought they were obeying the Jewish law, who thought they were obeying the Roman emperor, through the obedience of these people, crucifying, killing the Son of God, people like you and me. God blessed the world. He worked his purposes. Nothing could stop him from blessing the world that he created, from loving the world that he created. And so wherever you are this afternoon, God loves you. I mean, it's a message that you could conclude every sermon with and hopefully you'd be blessed by it. But I hope that just by pruning a bit into this story, you're encouraged to see you may not be perfect, neither are all these folks in the Bible, but still God loves you. And still he decided to come as the Lamb of God, taking away the sin of the world. I have a little appendix here. I don't know if I have like two minutes left. Because I know this series is called Longing for Eden, right? So two minutes, okay? Before I say amen. And, and so the question, the last question, the fourth question, you know, where is Eden? Have you ever wondered about that? Do you know where it is? Well, I'm not quite sure where it is, but I know that I know where the Bible, the biblical authors want you to know that it is. 
Because uh, actually this story, Mount Moriah, where the sacrifice of Isaac is supposed to happen, later in the Bible, just go to the last slide, is identified as the place where the temple is built, right? Jerusalem, Mount Moriah, the temple mountain, where lambs were slaughtered for the sake of the people of Israel. But if you dig a bit deeper in the Bible, and uh, Stephen can tell you more about this because there is much more to it than I can just say now, but there is a sense in which Jerusalem is identified with Eden. You know, if you've read Genesis 2, there are these four streams flowing down from the mountain of God, and one of them is called the Gihon. Well, that's also the stream that's flowing down from Jerusalem. And so, I think what this story, if you keep reading in the Bible, is trying you to say, and this is actually the last slide, is that if we long back for Eden, what needed to happen and what needs to happen is that the Lamb of God had to be sacrificed there on Mount Moriah so that through him, by believing in Jesus, we can come back to Eden. Can I hear an amen? Thank you, and uh, may God bless you. And I want to invite Stephen to come and pray for us just now.